Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Hard-edged, hard-nosed, hard to beat. Where are you coming from in this one? Your 100% essential download. Jim White and Simon Jordan. You let this get out of control. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. I'm Jim White. And today, myself, Simon and Stuart Pearce look back at another defeat for Chelsea and what Mauricio Pochettino needs to do to turn his side's fortunes around. Meanwhile, Manchester United were humbled 3-0 by Bournemouth at Old Trafford, seemingly piling more pressure on Eric Ten Hag. So what does one of their most successful players make of this situation? We'll be joined by European Cup winner Rio Ferdinand. And Stuart Pearce gives us his take on Joey Barton's comments about women in the game that have sparked much debate over the past few days. This is Outspoken with White and Jordan. Simon, when you look at it, it five five wins from his first 16 Premier League games in charge for Maurizio Pochettino at Chelsea. They sit 12th. But then you look at it more closely, Simon. They spent £400 in the summer to bring in for him another 12 players. And all in all, under Bowley, they spent a billion since the new ownership took over last May. And they've got so much worse. How does this work? And will Messrs Bowley and Igbali be that bothered? Well, I don't think they signed up to see a Chelsea side not not being um, uh, significantly influential in the Premier League and giving himself an opportunity to generate revenue streams in European football. I don't think that was part of their plan. I don't think it was this rush to spend a billion dollars or a billion quid in this instance to achieve nothing right now besides headlines that the club is you know spending a billion pounds I mean we seem to be awfully concerned for Todd Bowley about the billion pounds that he's spent he doesn't seem to be concerned about it I'm not in the slightest um, bit concerned and the the constant reference about it they bought, they bought some young players and they've overpaid for players and every football club owner overpays for players and the scale of football now gives it's you a remarkable spend Simon yeah it's what it is in one year yeah it's in, in three transfer windows absolutely I mean you could probably pro-rata it back to what Roman Abramovich spent back in 2003 in fact, if you actually look at what Roman Abramovich spent in 2003 and pro rata it forward... But they were actually, winning Premier Leagues and Champions League. Well, they, they weren't 12. They, did, they didn't. They didn't because when Roman Abramovich came in 2003, they had Claudio Ranieri. They won Premier Leagues when Jose Mourinho came in in 2004-2005. So there was an element of Chelsea, but not to this decline, not to this level. Um, but they're poor. And you, know, and, and you look at these players and you think to yourself, what is Pochettino doing? You can have the argument whether Mudrick is a £100 million or £90 million footballer or whether he's a £50 million footballer. At that level, they should still be performing better than they are. They're turning players that have been decent in other sides into players that are not particularly decent in this side. Um, There's a Chelsea fan, one of many actually, who say this. Chelsea's demise began 14 months ago when Tuchel was signed. May uh, well have done. It may well have done. It may well have done. If you're prepared to have a manager behave exactly as he wants, talk to owners as he does, do what he did behind the scenes, and if you're prepared to tolerate that, then ultimately you'll have a manager that might produce a modicum of success in the short term in a dugout. People will always make the argument. They'll attribute, they'll attribute it back to the Tuchel signing. And, it, and on in football terms, in results, immediate result terms, you can clearly see the, the, the delineation for that. And whether Graham Potter was the right decision, I thought it wasn't a great decision. I don't think Pochettino is a great decision. Um, and I think the players themselves are poor and all of those things bring you an outcome um, and whether they've bought the right players what they've paid for these players you know Enzo Fernandes on one hand you've got the boy at Liverpool McAllister going to Liverpool for 40 million quid and and making a decent impact in a decent side in Liverpool you've got a player like most people would suggest Fernandes is a decent player the problem with Fernandes is they paid 105 million quid for him and it's not worth that kind of money and you look at Chelsea and you wonder I thought Chelsea would be more impacted this season I didn't think they'd win the league 
I thought that they'd be competitive and maybe get themselves inside the top four. But they were a country mile off it. Not half. I mean, where is the Pochettino process? Pochettino, Simon says, if you understand football, it's a new project, new team, too many circumstances against us. I mean, does that is that necessarily the case, Stuart? I, I'm not sure I see too many circumstances against them. Uh, what I would say is they spent a lot of money doesn't look as though it's well spent at this moment in time. I don't think the answer in this window and the next window is spending again. I almost think that as a manager, you've got to say to your squad of players, we are what we are. And this group of people in this dressing room have got to turn results around. I've got to do it. And you as a group of players have got to do it. And put the onus back on on themselves rather than saying the answer's in the transfer window. I don't think it is. Yeah, well, I mean, Pochettino's alluding to the next window. This this was him. The expectation was massive. You know, Chelsea always the expectation is to win the the league, is to win the Premier League. But of course, after rea- after is the reality, and sometimes that is the team is still fighting for different circumstances. You know, but sometimes it's good. Hey. Reality check. We need to fight. That is our reality now. Now is our reality is <laughs> mid table, and now if we want to go up, it's not only to play well. It's about to be. Hey, come on, more tough with ourselves, and come on. We are going to push the player. The player need to push themselves also, and of course, and then it's a massive, massive assessment from the beginning of the season or from. The day one to today, and when open the the transfer window, see what we can do. I I don't know say that I, we need to ask for more player or less player, but I think it's to see if the perception match the reality. You know, is expectation here reality is here is because we are missing something in the middle. If that is the reality, and you know, maybe we need to in, improve our reality. Maybe they need to. Simon, when the transfer window opens, we shall see what we can do. I have no idea what he's talking about. I, I, I have no idea what he said. I kind of went round in circles with it as well, I must be honest. I have no idea. What, what, what I don't see one sense, one scintilla iota of enlightenment. Yes, the expectation is massive. That's why you were given a job, because Chelsea's a big football club and people have bought it for two and a half billion quid, so the expectation comes with the territory, as I imagine it did at PSG. To some degree, it came at Tottenham. Expectation is part and parcel of every single football club. You have the added benefit of having an, an abundance of money to be able to give you the support. I don't know what... what I, I genuinely, li- listening to what he said, I don't know what he's saying. So it's difficult to pull the bones out of it and say, well, I think he means this. Yes, there's nothing wrong with going in the transfer market in January. If you've made bad buys and you want to trade your way out of some of the players that you've got and trade your way into some new players um, and maybe change the direction, possibly... Um, but I'm, I'm looking at saying, I'm reading what he said, listening to what he said, and I'm yeah. saying, well, I don't know what he said, so I can't pull it apart or praise it hmm. because it's, it's self-evident that football clubs are supposed to evolve. You're supposed to make the difference. The players are supposed to be better under you, not worse. The outcomes are supposed to be better. And there's a malaise at Chelsea, and I don't know what it is, and I don't even, obviously people will automatically assume it's the ownership, and they may be right because everything starts at the top. And the fish rots from the head down, doesn't it? But this rotting head is something that's spending millions of pounds that I suspect managers have been involved in. I don't just suspect it's this rush for idiot football club owners from America to some subsequently just buy players. The only difference between what they're buying and possibly what they should be buying is the price tag. I think they're getting their pants pulled down on the prices, but I'm assuming somewhere... I don't think some North American owners just suddenly think I know what I fancy this week I fancy Enzo Fernandez. but the buck stops with them doesn't it well yeah, economically yeah so and, then, and if they're not complaining about the price point we then need to look at the players and say have they bought the wrong players put aside the price point did they buy the wrong players because Mudrick was a player that everyone was after this wasn't Chelsea that just it wasn't just Chelsea that were after Mudrick it was a group of players and the reasons why Chelsea got him is because they were prepared to pay more money than everyone else and that's why they got him and all is of a sudden this boy can't run with a ball yeah I mean is the answer to throw more money at it well, Surely it's fo- not. But it's always football's answer. It's never not been football's answer. To get a new broadcast deal, you throw more money at it. To get a, a, you know, a, a new football club in a direction, you get a new owner in. To get better players, you buy players. To get a better manager, you get a better manager. The, the ultimate answer for football is always money, yeah. but it's how it's spent. I think the word he used in that was, we need to fight. And, and that's what I'm hearing about the performance at Everton. There was no fight in the team. And I look, and I've got nothing against him, because I, I love 
the kid and I think he's got a bright future, Conor Gallagher. But when I see Chelsea Football Club, who've got perceptions on winning the league, being led out, captained by Conor Gallagher, I'm thinking to myself, this is Chelsea Football Club that's had a captain like John Terry that's got the stature of John Terry and whatever. Conor, Conor might be a fantastic captain in time to come, but for him to lead Chelsea Football Club out at this moment in time... It's too soon, and it sends a message out. For me, yeah. it sends a message yeah. out that is there not a better suited captain in, in the ranks of your football team? Yeah, exactly. I mean, Chelsea are mid-table, Stuart, because Chelsea are a mid-table club right now. Would that be right? Well, it doesn't lie. It doesn't the lie. tables don't lie. In performance. Yeah. I mean, you can't, if, you're, if you're talking, normally what we say is the more money you spend, the higher up the league you spend. The higher up the league you go, the bigger your wage bill, the more up the table you are, the bigger you spend. So they were, they were, they were a Premier League winner in spend. Um and a poor side in attainment. So as far as the club's ambitions, Pochettino is not considered to be a mid-table manager. Chelsea's spend isn't anything vaguely resembling a mid-table club. No. The only thing that's seemingly mid-table about Chelsea is their week-in, week-out performances from their players. The important bit. And if the manager's talking about fights, if we're taking it literally and extrapolating that up to suggest that there's not enough substance in the dressing room, that's his job. You know, he's been there now... They're 30%, 40% of the season through. You you know, you need to be building a side that looks like something vaguely resembling what you want. Yeah. Eddie Howe walks into Newcastle. I know that I've written an article about him last week, and of course since then he's conceded seven goals and lost two games. But Eddie Howe, very quickly, despite the Hartlepool FA Cup loss, built a side relatively quickly. What Pochettino will point to is expectation. The expectation of Chelsea is very different, mm. but that's why you're that's why you're in the job. Yeah, exactly. That's why you get paid eight million pounds a year to be a so-called top-flight manager. Eight million pounds a year. If you're Sheffield United, to be honest, Stuart, you're going to Chelsea next Saturday. Do you fear much? Um, I think if you're Sheffield United, you should fear on on current form. But yeah. I, I take your point. The bottom line is there could be something there for you. You know, Forrest have been down there and won one nil. You know, and uh, various clubs. Yeah, are, there's not a fear factor associated with Chelsea Football Club at this moment in time, performance wise. It's very hit and miss. Chelsea could win that game four nil next week or get beat one nil. Your 100% essential download. Outspoken with White and Jordan. It was quite a weekend, quite a weekend of shock score lines, quite a weekend of big performances, strange performances, the whole lot. I was at Kenilworth Road, Luton gave it a serious goal, but in the end, Manchester City did what they usually do and came away with the points. We're going to hear from uh, Luton Town's chief exec, Gary Sweet, later on in the show. But one of the standout results at the weekend belonged to Bournemouth. Bournemouth went, they went to Old Trafford. And you had to think, well, could be a tough afternoon for Bournemouth. Would it be? No. Because at the end of the day, Bournemouth left with all three points. Manchester United nil, Bournemouth three. And it begs many questions out of that. Not least, are we any the wiser as to what Eric Ten Hag's Manchester United are actually all about? We're going to ask a Manchester United serial winner from the past, Rio Ferdinand, that very question. Rio, good morning. Morning, guys. How are you doing? Very good. Good to have you on board. Stuart Pierce is alongside Simon and myself. Uh, Rio, Hi, guys. St- straight into it, mate. Let's do it. Are we any the wiser as to what 10 Hags United actually are? No, not at all. I thought I thought at the end of last season, you were sitting there and the, the optimism was there. Everyone was like, you know what? I can, I can, I'm getting an idea of what my United are doing. They get their hands on one trophy, albeit um probably the smallest one out of the lot but it's, it's still the same it was a, a moment where you can build confidence from and you go into the summer thinking yeah next season I still didn't think we could win the league I just thought we'd be closer or that that would have been definitely the aim but I look at it now and it's just again it's just there's sagas there's there's drama off the pitch and there's drama on the pitch there's 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 no consistency or balance um and I do I do think that Every single person that walks into the stadium at Old Trafford now or any stadium that Man United play in, walk in and are just sitting there going, I don't know what I'm going to get today. And that can't be the place and the, the, a right thing for any football club, let alone a club that's spent near a billion, billion pounds. Uh, where'd, you, where'd you begin to lay the blame, real? Whose fault is it? I don't think there's one place you can put the blame to. I think I've seen Gary and, and, and just Scurris about ownership, etc. I, I think there is a level of blame in 
different areas. I think, yes, the ownership definitely have to take some some uh, part of the blame um, in terms of who they put in certain positions and then recruitment and, and, and that element. But then, obviously, certain managers, when the managers come in, they haven't produced either. Um, but then at the same time, these players have been the constant throughout that who haven't produced as well. So I think there's blame every, across the board. But I think you do need to get the ownership and then the, the the recruitment element and that that background stuff sorted out to give the the manager and 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 then the team the, the ability to go out there and play and, and the the foundations to go and play as well. Is it fair to say, Stuart and Simon, will come in and there's no doubt as well that the, part of the problem still lies with the Glazers, the fact they're still in situ. Is that fair? I mean, they're nowhere near the stadium on a match day, and they're nowhere near the pitch. That they might be symptomatic to some of the problems. I always like to look at directly on the pitch, and and, and there lies the problem for me. I look at United; they've got a world-class performer in Marcus Rashford, but he's symptomatic of United. If he plays well. United play well. If he doesn't play well, and there are times where he doesn't, they seem to. There's nothing there. I was at the Newcastle game a Isn't couple of weeks ago. Isn't it the other way around, too? Isn't it the other way around? If United play well, he plays well. Isn't it the other way around? Potentially, yes. Yeah. There's every chance that, that is the case. But the, the the real critical lack of leadership, Rio, at United. I've I've watched them over the last year and a half, and I think I've seen them on at least four or five occasions throw the towel in. One of them games was Bayern Munich this year where I thought they yeah. packed it in and they got lucky. They got a goal which got them back mm. into the game and, and give them a little bit of oomph. But I've seen the team pack it in. I can't say I can say that about too many other teams in the Premier League at Rio. Yeah, and, and that's the bit that is, is unforgivable. I think if you, you can accept that there's things going off the pitch. There's dramas here, there and everywhere which is going on. And there's, there's, there's little subplots and narratives elsewhere. But effort and desire and application are non-negotiables. Stuart, you know you played the game. You, you go out there, they were like, if anybody called you up on anything like that in your performance, you would be embarrassed, your pride would be on the floor, you'd take it personally. I don't really feel that happens. It doesn't seem like that's happening because the reaction that I'm seeing isn't one of like, right, we ain't having that. We're going to right, go at them now. We're going to show people that we can run ourselves into the ground. And I think Sir Alex Ferguson, I hate to keep going back to it, but it was the, you have to when, when, when he was so good. But... He used to love it as much as anything when an opposition manager would come into the change room after he's had his glass of wine with the opposite, opposing manager and go, guys, yeah, well done today, guys. You know what? I was so pleased that their manager has actually gone and said, you guys, as good as you are, world-class players you've got, but actually you run like a non-league team. Like that's He loves stuff like that. And it's just <laughs> that work ethic. These are basics. Mm. Like... That you don't you you shouldn't even have to talk about. And as a player, yeah. you look yourself in the mirror and you go, Do you know what? I ain't played well today. I made a mistake, and it was that reason or this reason. Rio Stewart said Rashford's a world class player. Is he? No, he's not. He's world class world class potential. I don't think he's a world class player. He's not proved it for long enough. I think world class, you get to a level and you sustain that over a period of time. He, at the moment, he he kind of comes in flurries. He has moments where you go, oh my, he takes your breath away. He does things that not many people on the planet can do. And he's great. Jimmy, Jimmy Carragher said more, more local lads at United should take more responsibility. Local lads. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I, I think you do. I think you end up, you, 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 I think you should definitely take things more personally and then try and help that situation. I think that I still sit here and sometimes I catch myself after have, have to go, actually, he's not a young kid anymore. He's an experienced player within that change room who, who looked, who's looked at as a leader. I, I, I think if I was him, being at the club for that long and the stature that he's status, and status he's got in the game, I'd have been sitting there going, when the captaincy came up, I want to be having that armband. I should be in the, in the shake-up for that armband. But because I think he's got the experience and the gravity has to do that. But no matter what you say, you can talk about being world-class or not. All of these players just go out there and graft. That's it. I remember the, oh, another thing, like wide players. You look at wide players. I'm not saying that it's it, re, irrelevant of, of uh, ability. None of the wide players from Beckham, Giggs, Ronaldo, Nani, Valencia, etc. They didn't want to be on the same side of the pitch as where the gaffer was. Because they would be drilled, like chasing back, <laughs> running yeah. after people. Before you talk about ability and, and getting on the ball and crossing and assisting and scoring, you graft and you chase that fullback up and down that pitch and you make sure you run him into the ground then you can start playing your football these fundamentals and basics don't seem to be there at the moment and that's the, the crooks of it no matter what level you play at from grassroots up to the first teams and non-league etc 
the the the, yeah. the non-negotiable is working. Uh, Simon, if anyone is qualified to speak about Manchester United, it's Rio, and I totally get what he's saying. You know, yeah, like was when Ferguson say, was... was in charge to now, mm. the difference. Yeah, I was going to ask Rio about the culture of the club because I make a big deal about what it is to play for Manchester United. I had Steve Bruce as my manager that used to speak about the culture of Man United, and I wondered Rio when you look at this group of players and I'm not looking for you to be clickbaity here but when you look at this group of players and you look at the environment that you played in the culture of playing for Man United you were in the business of winning you understood your responsibility you knew what it was like to play for this club do you think that this group of players understand the responsibility that goes with playing with a football club that's had the significance and the achievements that Man United have had if you're looking at when you just look out on the pitch, I don't think so. It doesn't look like it. I don't know how it behind the scenes, but I, what I would say is that it looks to me that there ain't enough honest and tough conversations <clears throat> being had between the players. And that was, I think, any successful side you talk about in any sport, in any business, you know what it's like. Them uncomfortable, tough conversations have to be had, whether it's an argument, whether it is that conversation in a meeting room where you're pulling people up. I don't think there's enough people in that change room who are willing to go out on a limb and make, put someone's nose out of joint a little bit, put someone's hair out of place a little bit with, with a comment about performance, about body language, about uh, the desire that you're showing on the pitch. Like, we used to get... I, I, I'd love to be in there. Where you, I want a video showing certain th aspects of certain people's games as a team, but as individuals, and embarrassing a few people in a meeting and saying, look at this, can you tell me that this is right? in a Man United shirt. That badge doesn't deserve for you to be walking there or to be allowing someone to walk past you and look not bothered and 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 running out and jumping out of the shape that we've been working on all week and then leaving people vulnerable and it with loads of space around but who them. set those standards, Rio? I mean, I you look at the names that have been in there. Put David Moyes to, to one side, but you look at mm. Van Hal and Mourinho that were proven winners, proven leaders. You know, Then we've got Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, the ridiculous assertion you made at the time that he's got the wheel. I think culturally he allowed the development of a bad attitude inside the club. But when you talk about the players taking responsibility and digging one another out, we talk about captains in your time. We talk about captains in times gone past and the clear embodiment of leadership. A lot's made about Bruno Fernandes. Without you being dragged into a debate about whether you think he's captain or not, I'm going to ask you, do you think Fernandes is a good leader of Man United? Who else is there? That's the prob That's the big biggest problem. I think you can you can say that he's he's either one that you fancy you like or you don't like, right? But then I look around. I reckon there'd be players in that change room that probably turn the chance to be a captain down and say, no, no, I don't want it. Why do you think that is, Rio? Because it's too big. It's too big. The pressure's too big. Don't want to be under the spotlight. Don't want to be the person that's got to go in front of the media. Like, don't want to have that responsibility. Whereas I think back in the day, and, I, and it is a different time, and there was more confidence because we were winning, but you'd have had a queue of people asking to be the captain. There were people that were disappointed not being picked as a captain when the captaincy come up. So I think, it, yeah, we have to, the context of what the club and where the club was then is different. But I think, again, if you look around all of the clubs in football, leadership is very different now to what it was. You can't have a, there isn't many shouters, there isn't many great communicators and loud people and aggressive people willing to get people around the neck. There ain't many of them anymore. There were loads of them before. Stuart, you noticed, you was one of them, Stuart. There, there were loads of those guys before. The way in which you lead now, it, the culture is very, very different. But at the same time, I don't think it, it matters in terms of uncomfortable conversations can be had in a different manner. Bayern next for Manchester United, Rio, and then Liverpool. It doesn't get much bigger than that. And I'm looking at yeah. many, many of the messages coming in. Jim, ask Rio... For matches like this, is Ten Hag the man? Ask him overall, is Ten Hag the man generally? Um, well, listen, I, I'm a little bit with Gary Neville on this in terms of like, are you just going to keep changing managers, but the players are going out there and performing as well? I think, but with this, with, with Ten Hag, I want to see a style of football. If I can't see a style of football and an identity, a philosophy of football, where you look at so many teams around the league, whether they're near the top or the bottom, you always know a Sean Dyche team when you see it. Because he puts yeah. his team out, you know he must be on the training field working at his team. Mate, I spoke to Ten Hag before the Galatasaray game and I said, why have we not seen a consistent performance from your team yet? And he, he said, well, I've had a lot of injuries. But at the same time, I still think that there's other those players that are, are coming in, they're on the training ground as well. They're watching these training sessions. They're taking part, surely. Surely they've got to be able to Is he worthy of more time, Rio? I think on the basis of what I saw last season, 
Yes, I think there's been, I agree with him. There has been a lot of injuries to big players and key players and a lot of players out of this team. So does I would he, give does him he eclipse that... Klopp and Klopp and Guardiola? Do you think Ten Hag eclipses Klopp and Guardiola? I don't think Man United eclipse um, Guardiola and, and Klopp. But with this think, manager, because ultimately uh, the manager, the reason why Man City are so dominant yeah, and imperious like is because of Guardiola. Like I said at the top of the show, it's, it's not about just the manager. If you sack the manager and bring another manager in now, I reckon we'll still be here in two years saying the same thing. But what is it then? It's that, that you've got to, that it's got to be the 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 culture at the football club's got to be set and changed. He's By the manager, to do that with this. he's got to be. He's been trying to do that with all of the sagas we've seen off the pitch, from taking the armband off of Maguire to the Ronaldo situation for Sancho for Rashford at times as well. Do you think he's got wise. the chops, Rio? Don't dance around it. Do you think he's got the chops? to lead them away from the current malaise of a culture that's not strong enough to an environment where they give themselves an opportunity to challenge the leading two clubs in the country or leading three clubs in the country? At this moment in time, I don't know. I, don't, I actually don't know. I think, you, I think you need to still give him the... I'd give him to the end of this season at least, right? But also within that, a new structure behind the scenes is imminently coming into this football club. I think that can have a, a, a real say on either his uh, fortunes at the club, but also if he was to go and somebody else's, because I don't think a manager can come in here on his own and change things. It's been it's been proven. There's been five or so managers that have come through the door and all at different levels, all with different reputations, big, small, etc. Experience, some not, some have won loads, some have won a little bit, some have won nothing, and all fouled. It can't be just the manager all the time. We can't just keep sitting here and going, oh, it's the manager, it's the manager. The players all stay the same, keep recruiting the same way we do. The ownership stays the same. Re Real, the Graham, Graham Sooner sat in the studio last week and said the demise, the malaise at Manchester United is very much embodied by one Anthony Martial. I mean, you know the club inside out. You certainly know Manchester United more than anybody. Is that right? Do you agree with that? Uh, I don't, it's hard to put it down to, onto one player's shoulders as being that, that that player signifies what's what's wrong at the club. But I think just that the performance that we saw uh, was at Newcastle where we were looking at it and going, well, absolutely bullied off the pitch. Three teams that I can think of have come to Man United and absolutely popped Man United off the pitch. Palace, Wolves, and then Bournemouth at the weekend. Smashed us all over the place. And you're thinking like, this isn't the way that Man United history, that, what, this, this, this isn't allowed. But... I can't go, it's just down to, there's a one player who embodies it. I think the whole team, the squad, the culture at the club at the moment, mm. you look at it and go, this isn't what a Man United team or squad looks like or should look like at all. Yeah, but even when Sir Jim Ratcliffe's uh, involvement in the football club eventually becomes public, is much going to change? Because so much we hear, oh, it's the ownership, everything comes from the top. I mean, everything comes from the first whistle when the match starts, Rio. And that's down to the players, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. It's on the pitch where you do your talking as well. But listen, I was at the club when David Gill was there. His influence can never be undervalued. The the the, the respect, I still call the man Mr. Gill. And he says, I'm David, call me. I can't, I, there's a respect level because that starts somewhere. That, in, that all starts somewhere. Do you know what I mean? And that's yeah, near the yeah. top. And he was very visible. We see him. He was in the training ground. He was in at the games. Like you having conversations, there was a there was a there was a human element, a human touch to it. So it, it isn't just about the manager. I saw and felt when Sir Alex Ferguson left the club, there definitely was a drop. But at the same time, David Gill was a key part of that as well, and he went at the same time. Do you, do, do you fear Liverpool for United this weekend? Well, based on the last result, which was seven nil, yeah, I do. <laughs> the last time we were there, so I'm just hoping that. Listen, Bruno Fernandes is suspended this uh, for that game. He got a booking at the weekends, but so I, I, I'm looking at him thinking, "Wow, is he going to go and thicken that midfield up now with a bit more physicality and just make us hard to play against and hard to beat, rather than trying to go there and go like a yeah, sure. You, you attack, we attack. Who's the captain? Uh, Who's the United captain then at Anfield? You'd think it would be Harry Maguire, given that he was the last captain, but I don't know. Who's I don't know who he'll go with. Like I say, there's no, there ain't many names jumping off that off that team sheet that you're going, okay, well, Luke Shaw maybe. But there ain't many more that you're looking at and going, okay, he'd, he'd, first of all, he'd want it, let alone if he's actually capable. 
Rio, Rio, do you think the recent history, uh, and when I say recent history of United, I'm talking about the Alex uh, era and the Chelsea era of, of Mourinho and the like, is, is a millstone around both clubs' necks at the moment? Uh, maybe there there is that pressure, but at the same time, I walked into Manchester United and I'm sitting around people that have won five, six Premier Leagues and Champions Leagues, and I'm I'm walking I'm, I'm walking in the corridors, brushing shoulders with Sir, Sir Bobby Charlton. That's pressure, as well. You've got to maintain those standards. It's different pressure, but it's still a pressure. So, and when you sign for a club of the magnitude of Man United, expect pressure. Don't be surprised when it hits you on your nose after f- f- two months. Expect it, embrace it, and meet it head on. And I think that's that's got to be the culture shift. I think far too often it looks like oh, we're being criticised and we shouldn't be criticised and oh, that's a bit out of order and let's protect people. and let's, uh, Listen, I understand about mental health and all these things, yeah, but when you're just being critiqued for your performance, take that on the chin and I mean, work at it. We, we heard last week, Rio, that one or two journalists from one or two organisations were out until they're back in because there was a suggestion that... There, there were one or two players within the squad who were saying, no, it's, don't like Ten Hag's methods. We've got to do this. We've got to, we've, he's got us running too much. Don't like them. Do you think there's an element of truth in that? I, th- I think there will be, but I, but I don't think that's too dissimilar to any time at any club, mate. Listen, Stu, how many, how many, did every player enjoy your methods? They, they don't. Not every player, Chicharito every other week was sitting there going, I can't believe I'm not starting. I scored two at the weekend and I'm starting again. Oli Gunnar Solskjaer would have probably said the same thing. You get, it's a love-hate sometimes with your manager and, and what they do. And I think that's the, that's the case at every club, whether you're winning or you're middle table or you're losing. Um, it's just obviously because at Man United, it's not going well now. That's going to be a story. But trust me, every single club, there'll be players at Man City now. Do you think Calvin Phillips is happy? Do you think he's, he's going to sit there and go, oh, uh, Pep Guardiola is brilliant and he's been great for me? No, There's good, good point. That, good point. There's one question coming in from you, uh, no name on it. Jim Askrio, before he goes, on current form, does Rashford make it to Germany next summer for England? Current form, uh, it'd be very difficult to say that. He, I think he probably still goes in the squad because of what he's probably done in the past, maybe, and that's the way Gareth is. But on current form, he definitely doesn't start. I, I, I don't think I don't think Marcus Rashford would sit here and say that on current form that he should start. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Download, stand well back, listen. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Off the field of play last week, and certainly on social media, the conversations were flying, were they not? Seemingly initiated by one Joey Barton. Um, uh, one-time Premier League player, of course, uh, Stuart. Someone that y- you know well from your time, I think, at Manchester City. But it, but it was a strange week of tweets and interviews involving Joey, who basically hit out at women's involvement in the broadcast media. Now, of course, the most prominent voice in women's football has been Chelsea manager Emma Hayes in recent times. And even Emma Hayes hit back at some of the things Joey was coming out with. Joey came out with more than a few things when he joined Piers Morgan on Talk TV. 
you have to be there on merit. Like you can't be there to to fit this woke agenda that we've currently got going on in society. Um, you know, you don't have to have played the game. You know, lots of managers haven't played the game at a, at a high level. Lots of good commentary people haven't played the game at a high high level. Kind of Mark Chapman, Rory Smiths of this world, but they've earned the right via hard work and uh, over a prolonged period to get into that space. Obviously, it helps to talk about the men's game. If you've played that men's game, the higher the level, arguably the better, because it gives you a unique experience. There's a lot of similarities between both sports peers, absolutely no danger in that. But the men's game is just played at a completely different speed with a completely different skill set needed. You know, And for someone to stand there and say, I would have done this in this situation, or he's made a mistake there, who have no experience of that, and, and it's not just one or two, it's, it's been taken over, um, you know, and it ruins the experience for, for most men. And it's the men's game. And I feel, I don't, I don't want to come across as sexist, but absolutely not. I've got a wonderful daughter, wonderful wife, my grandmother, a big matriarch. I want women at men's games. You know, at Bristol Rovers, we had Hair Game 2, and it's a great initiative to get women in the stadiums. But if we're going to talk about the technical nuances of, of elite level football, and we want to educate the audience, which is the punditry, co-commentary role, then we must do that with the most credible people, not people who tick boxes or fill quotas. So that was Barton on Piers Morgan on Talk TV. And then over the weekend, uh, there were various reactions to it, but this one specifically came from Emma Hayes. You know, male privilege has been something that's always, you know, been at the centre of football in this country. Women were banned, you know, playing football up until the 70s. So... I don't expect any individual personality to understand their privilege. Nonetheless, you only have to see scores of women across the internet or uh, in the business, whether you're a presenter, you're a coach, you're a player, to realise that we're routinely used to being, to dealing with systemic misogyny, bullying and behaviour that has been pretty normal for a large part of the football public. I find it, the debate interesting and we should have, have the debate without being personal about it. I feel that sport is probably the last place in society where that male privilege exists. And so naturally, if I go all Darwinism on us, you know, and speak evolutionary theory, the realities are that when there is an existential threat you either evolve or you die. And I think when it comes to the sport of football, in this case, we have to remember that society isn't always as well represented across the media or across the game in coaching or playing, etc. If you haven't experienced systemic misogyny, like lots of us have, you can't for one moment understand how detrimental some of these conversations are, knowing that anything anyone says just enables an absolute pylon. So I was Emma Hayes and the debate really got going, really got up to speed over the weekend. Systemic misogynistic bullying, Simon. I mean, Emma Hayes didn't hold back. Mm. Joey Barton didn't hold back. So they are far from coming anywhere near agreeing what we should be seeing on our screens be, but, or what we should be hearing on the radio. They They're very be. far from... But, but they shouldn't be. And I have to say, I listened to the Joe Barton interview and the clip that we played was the most articulate part of the interview that he put together. And none of this has anything to do with male privilege. None of this has anything to do with existential threats. It has everything to do with meritocracy. The argument is about meritocracy. Bringing male privilege into it and existential threats... And the, and the idea that Darwinism has anything to do with the evolution of the species is a, is a silly. Joey made an argument, and God, it's difficult for me to want to get involved in giving any kind of support to Joey Barton, but his primary facts, he's disappeared into the gutter over the weekend with some of the drivel that he's put up on social media and some of the personal attacks and some of the insinuations and innuendos that he's made of people. But the argument is about meritocracy. It's about the best people... The best people for the job. For the job. Right. And there is an argument to be had about whether women pundits have the level of, ap of aptitude, understanding 
of the men's game, which is vastly different by their own acceptance. If you talk to most of the women players, most of the women managers, they will have an acceptance, while seemingly campaigning for their best manager, Serena Wegman, to come to the men's game, which makes no sense to me. If you want to build up your own game, why would you be suggesting that she departs from the England women's job into the England men's job? Joey's point was that is there the prerequisite amount of, equi- of, of, of expertise? Do we see the idea across a pantheon of subjects about whether it's about race or whether it's about sex, there is a leaning towards equality and diversity and inclusion over talent. And nobody should want that. Joey's, Joey's argument departed into the ridiculous at times because there's nothing wrong with female presenters hosting men's football games and setting up the framework for conversations. Well, I've worked with some of the best, and that, like and, Kate and, Abdo, for example. And anybody with a rational and sane mind would think that was right. But when you hear conversations like Sunes last year on a show talking about the physicality of the man's game and saying it's a men's game, we've got our men's game back, and then a pile-on, and you see England players like Beth England turning around and saying, oh, uh, Sunes should be in the bin, he's a dinosaur. That's where you get the the real objection from people like me because with respect to Sunes, whether he's a manager in current times, he's played for the biggest clubs in the world, managed the biggest clubs in the world. Most of what comes out of his, says, his mouth is common sense and educated. So I think this argument is framed in the wrong way. And when Emma Hayes comes piling back in about existential threats as if men are holding... My first reaction was... Has Barton been bumped for a job by somebody? Then I realised what it's really about. Barton's got a podcast. So what he wants to do is raise raise the awareness, like he wanted to raise the myth that he was an intellect when he was coming on media, suggesting that he wanted to be a football manager. And now that he's proved that's not the case for him, he'll go back into the space where he operates by taking it into an area of controversy, losing the central point. The central point is we should have people in positions in the media, in football, based upon merit. And if it's anything else other than merit, then they shouldn't be there. And I think he has a point about some of these women that are commentating on men's football that don't have the expertise. Because I tell you what, when they make this argument about Emma Hayes going into the Premier League and managing a Premier League side, not because she's a woman, but because her experience level. When was the last time you managed an environment of 70,000 feral fans singing tragedy songs as their piece of the resistance before they even get a start of a 10? With groups of players that are getting paid a million pound a week that couldn't care less what, what managers in the dressing room. When you've got that kind of experience and you can speak about it. And the challenge is the moment uh, someone pushes back against a particular narrative it's misogyny it's it's every, every every ism that you can think of and barton's opened a can of worms that need to be debated far more eloquently than he's choosing to do so so simon you've been saying no hang on a second it's maybe barton is saying something but he's not expressing himself in the right way yeah, I mean, again, the argument has to be centred on meritocracy. When I sat there listening to his argument, I sat there looking at the screen saying, the argument you have is with punditry, not with co-commentary or with presenting. It's with punditry, because when you listen to a pundit, you're supposed to be listening to someone that takes you into space of expertise. Absolute expertise. That's what the pundit's job is. Here you are, unequivocal expertise. And that's where the debate should be had. Not around whether women should be presenting shows or commentating on games, or whether that they are actually, if they've got the merit and the substance and the ability to be able to convey an expert opinion on men's football, and I don't personally believe that it was ever a forward-thinking step to put Phil Neville, the manager of the England women's team. I thought that was wrong. I think that it, the women's game needs to be developed and enhanced. But Barton's argument... Is Ian no Wright t- working in the Women's World Cup. Well, Ian Wright does the things that Ian Wright does for the benefit of Ian Wright. So with that in mind, I suspect that because it suits his particular agenda. Or maybe he has a different motivation. I can't speak for Ian Wright. What I can speak for is that is that this idea that's being advanced... And Bar- Joe Barton doesn't help the objectivity of an argument by turning it into personal mudslinging and insults about people that are working within the confines of the industry and getting into a bun fight with three women on a show which were all screeching across one another and then not being prepared to debate the argument because he's not interested in the debate. Because the debate is it's an important one. I mean, there are those who would say that you sit in a studio sometimes with Stuart Pearce, yeah. sometimes with Keon, sometimes with Sunis, all of them ex-players, you not. Well, I'm, I, but then I wouldn't 
I wouldn't dream of addressing the subject of tactics between myself and Stuart Pearce or myself and Martin Keown. My function in life is to critically hold people to account for what they say and have an expertise around the commercial side of football. Yeah. Different ownership, different model, different perspective. So I don't get into the territory of saying to Stuart Pearce, you should have picked this player and you'll never hear me say it to any of the pundits that are expertise. I listen to their views and I challenge them and make them work hard to stand up some of their nonsense. So it gets stood up so they can explain why they're saying it rather than, oh, that's a tacit acceptance for what they say then, is it? That's the way that we should be talking to experts. Barnes not afraid to say what he thinks. I know that for a fact. Uh, when Rangers got rid of him, he came on the show that I was doing, one of the early shows in Talk Sport, when there was a phone-in about how Joey Barton had handled himself and was it right that Warburton <coughs> and Rangers got rid of him? And Joey Barton himself, to be fair to him, agreed to come on. But do you think there's an ulterior motive here? Because well, he has a podcast well, out there around this particular it, 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 time and wants to be in front and centre in the news. This, well, of course there is, because he's achieved his objective, isn't he? Because he's had un, un, un you know, unremitting or un, un, unrelenting, shall we say, uh, levels of interest from all different parts of the social media sphere through to the mainstream media to here we are today, giving it its fourth or fifth day of legs. Because it's one of those subjects. You start talking about the, the divide between men and women and equality in society, boom, trigger subject. You start talking about racism, trigger subject. So you know you're going to have these issues. So he's got a podcast. He's pumping his podcast. We, you know, the Common Sense podcast. I even know what it is because he's been hashtagging it alongside a, lo a load of other rather unpalatable um, hashtags that he thinks are funny with digs at people and innuendos that he's making. The conversation about equality in society, you know, the argument about equality, I don't see much equality in being bricklayers or plumbers. There isn't this massive rush to have representation of women in plumbing or electrician work or, 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 or these sort of things. But the debate is about expertise. It's about meritocracy. And let's have that debate because we both know in society that there are things that you can say and things that you can't say. And the reasons why people, if they do like me, and in, in the event that they do like me, because I don't really care within reason about towing the line between what I can say, which will end my so-called media career, or, or what I think is the right thing to say. Mm. And I think there is an absolute argument about equality and diversity being forced down our throats, and the, the idea that the way to, to achieve things is to push people into positions because you're white, male and stale, and all of that nonsense is nonsense. And it's not because I'm a middle-aged man, it's because I have a look at the world, and if someone's better than me at what I do, they should be sat in this seat, and that's the only reason why. One thing not because they're black or because they're a sure, female. Sure. One thing we shouldn't be surprised at, Stuart, is that Joey is outspoken. Um, he doesn't hesitate. He's not backward and coming forward when he wants to hear a view. Is that the, the memory that comes to mind for you? Are those still vivid memories of him as a player when you had him as a player? Well, I coached Joey and then managed him um, at Manchester City some years ago. You know that he can stoke up debate. There's no doubt about that. I, I personally, if someone turns around and makes sweeping statements like all women are this or all men are that, I don't think it's right and proper in any way, shape or form. And I think Simon's got a good point, you know, good people and right people for the job on expertise, knowledge, that type of thing. I, I think that's got credibility and legs, to be honest with you. So, but listen, whether Joey's done it for, for a reason to profile something, it certainly appears to me as though he has profiled what he's trying to push. Did you struggle to handle him, Stuart? I mean, the, there's a quote from you, you may deny it, or is it true, that... Um, I beg your pardon, Barton suggested that he'd been let down by you. But then you went on to say, Barton will never play for a team of mine again. Yeah, I said that at the end of uh, at the end of my tenure at Manchester City. I said to the chairman, after he was involved in an attack on Usman Darbo, that he, he's got to leave the football club. And I told the chairman that at the time. He has to leave the football club. As it goes, I left the football club before Joey did. I was removed from my post. Nothing to do with Joey in any way, shape or form. But um, my tenure had run its course and the new ownership come into, uh, into Manchester City at the time. But the bottom line is there was so many problems that, that I dealt with that it wasn't tenable for me and Joey to work together again. I mean, he said you had a relationship breakdown. 100%. Well, listen, if you're smashing uh, fellow teammates in the face and as a manager, there is a breakdown. You're right. And something has to be done about it. Does it surprise you that all these years on, Jory is now pushing various issues on a podcast like this? Uh, no, listen, J Joey's always been reasonably outspoken in what he's got to say and what he's got to do. I mean, I worked with Joey when he was 
teen, late teens to sort of mid-twenties, if you like, you know. And then he went on, and credit to him, he worked very hard at making himself a footballer. I've got to say, he he ran himself into the ground on the training pitch to make himself a player. I don't think he's a great player, but the endeavour that he put in to make himself a player and earn a good wage out of football was there for all to see, and I admire him for that. Certain other things that I've seen in and around the training ground and that type of thing, I, I don't admire about him, and I, I must be honest about that. But I know when it comes to you, you like people of substance. Is Joey one? I think he's got something about him. He's got personality, if that's what you call sort of, you know, spouting off or, you know, on a football pitch. He he had a reaction. He's got fire in his belly. Sometime that was misguided. Um, but listen, he is what he is, Joey. He's had a decent career for his ability in football. So I admire that. I admire his work ethic that he put into being a footballer. And he's had one or two big money moves and, you know, he, he got Burnley promoted once again when he was there working with Sean. So, and uh, I know Sean speaks very highly of him about what he'd done. I think he matured a lot by the time he got to that ethos in his career. Simon, one thing we do know is when you see the volume of messages that are coming in, it's a debate that is still, if you like, properly to be had. But it can't be had with the with the right people involved. But it can't be had because the moment someone suggests that that, that there's a question about the involvement of a particular um, ethnicity or persuasion into a conversation, the other side gets to shout out male privilege or gets to shout out misogyny, and then the people that want to have a debate either have to run away and hide because they realise there's a consequence for it, or put themselves on offer and at risk because that's precisely what happened. I Barton has opened a conversation. That, that unfortunately he's opened with hyperbole and superlatives that aren't particularly uh, erudite or, or advancing the conversation because he doesn't choose to. He's not choosing to. This is not about genuinely looking at this debate. My initial reaction initially, as I said to you, was he's been bumped for a gig and doesn't like it. Then I look beneath it and go, now this is about promoting a podcast. And this conversation does need to be had in society because too many people are getting into positions and too many agendas are being advanced that are not pursuant, not pursuant to the expertise that is required to run a country, to run a football club, to run a business. And if you're going to run it based upon quotas, if you're going to run it based upon every time you don't like something, someone from the other side that's got the popular opinion can throw, boom, misogyny in male privilege it's a difficult conversation to be on the receiving end of and it's one that people don't want to push back on because they're frightened of it they're frightened of the consequences of it and Barton has opened it up so you could say despite the thuggery behind some of the observations that he's made that there is an open door now because he's brought it to the fore and had the balls to say it do I think his intentions for saying it are genuine do we think his motivations are about his fight against wokery no he's latched upon a, a title that he can steer into and probably monetize. And some would say that's admirable. But this conversation should be had because if people are going to get into positions of influence, of authority and merit, it must be because of the definition merit. So that's the conversation that should be had. Welcome to the Coliseum of Confrontation. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. Please leave us a five-star review. Whatever you get your podcast from, we'll be back tomorrow to bring you the best of the show. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium.